Thank you. You may be seated. Well, happy Easter, Life Point. It is great to be with you this morning. It's great to, to worship with you today. Uh, my name is Corey, and I serve as the teaching pastor here at our, our Plain City campus. And um, just so grateful to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ with, with you today. Uh, Today, not only are we celebrating Easter, but we are wrapping up a series that we've been in for the past five weeks called The Ascent. And in this series, we've been looking at five mountaintop moments where, where God provides for his, his people. And on these mountaintop experiences, God didn't so much as move the mountains as he did as move the people. He didn't change their circumstances as much as he changed them. And what we've been learning is that God not only provided for his people in the past, but that he also provides for his people in the present. And if you're thinking, hey, I'm, I'm new, I just came to visit today, or somebody drugged me along today because we got to go do dinner with the family afterwards, and, and I don't know where you're at in this series, I just want to let you know, relax, sit back, it's going to be okay because we're going to focus on the Easter message of, of Jesus Christ. And, and if you are new, we're so grateful to have you with us today. I want to let you know that there are some uh, helpful resources available to you this morning. So you can go ahead and get out your phone. That's okay to, to do here. And in your web browser, you can type in lpguest.com. That's lpguest.com. Or you can scan that QR code on the back of the chair in front of you. And it's going to take you to message notes for this morning, message notes that you can interact with and then save for, for later for yourself. It will also take you to a digital guest card that takes less than 60 seconds to fill out. At the bottom of that digital guest card are five ministries that we're already partnered with. You could pick the ministry that means the most to you, and we'll make an additional $5 donation to that ministry in your honor. That way you can do something good and kind for being with us this Easter morning. Well, today, what we're going to do is we're going to head to the final mountaintop moment for us in this series, the Mount of Olives. And the Mount of Olives is more like a ridge running along the east side of Jerusalem, but it's where we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And our big idea for this entire series has been this, that God's purpose for you is established in his provision for you. That God's purpose for you is established in his provision for you. And with that in mind, I'd like to keep things very simple and straightforward today. And so here's what we're going to do. Here's kind of the roadmap for this morning. We're going to just look at two things. We're going to look at, number one, evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. Evidence for the resurrection of, of Jesus. Why? Because I believe the evidence for, for the resurrection, it strengthens not only our belief, not only our faith, and not only our confidence in trusting God's word, and it does that in a spiritual sense for us, but it also does it in a logical and factual and tangible sense for us where we can use the brains God has given us to come to a conclusion on, on things. So we're going to look at evidence for the resurrection. Then number two, we're going to look at, if true, what does the resurrection mean for you and I? That if true, the resurrection demands a verdict, it demands a response in our lives. So let's start by looking at some of the evidence, and we're going to look at three pieces of evidence this morning. Number one is this. Jesus' followers claimed a resurrection, but none of them expected it. I say that because the very first Easter, 
Jesus had been crucified and his lifeless body was placed in a, a tomb that had never been used. That tomb was cut out or hollowed out of solid rock, only one way in and one way out. It was guarded by Roman soldiers and, and there was a stone placed in front of it. Most historians believe that stone was around four and a half feet in diameter, a foot thick, and weighing over 400 plus pounds. That was rolled over the entrance and then a special seal was, was placed around it, a Roman seal. This is how the very first Easter morning began. In Mark chapter 16, if you got your Bibles, I'd invite you to turn there. Mark chapter 16 and verse 1 tells us this, that when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Siloam bought spices so that they might go and anoint him, that being Jesus. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb and they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Now here's what's important to know. For the Hebrews, they had a, a word for resurrection, but it meant something different than you and I might think. You see, they believe that Yahweh, they believe that the I am God would resurrect all righteous people all at once at the same time and turn the world into a, a perfect paradise for the righteous. And when God performed this, this resurrection of the righteous people, right, peace would enter the world, evil would cease to exist, and it would be undeniable to everyone, and it would be clearly seen that God was doing something. That's important. Because if an individual, if a singular person were to claim the resurrection or a resurrection, the Jews would have never believed it. They would have dismissed it. They would have never accepted it. Why? Because injustice would still exist in the world. Disease would still exist. Evil would still exist. And the best way to understand this is with the Jewish people, they thought the resurrection was a, a team deal, that all of the righteous would be resurrected at once together. So if someone was going to claim that Jesus was resurrected, it would immediately be challenged. This is why we can say that Jesus' followers, they claimed a resurrection, but none of them expected it, at least not from, from him. And we know this to be true by, by looking at the Bible and the conversations that Jesus had with his followers because before Jesus died, he, he talked about being raised from the grave, but his followers, his disciples, they, they just couldn't grasp it. They couldn't comprehend it. In, in Mark chapter 9, a, a few chapters earlier in verse 9, it says this, they were coming down the mountain and he, Jesus, charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man, that being Jesus, had risen from the dead. Verse 10, look at their response. So they kept this matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. Later on, another conversation in, in chapter 9 there, just a few verses down in verse 31, it says, Jesus was teaching his disciples, saying to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. Verse 32, again, notice the, the response and the reaction from those followers. But they did not understand the saying, and they were afraid to ask him. Prior to his death, Jesus' followers didn't believe, didn't understand, and didn't expect that Jesus would be resurrected from the grave. And we see the same thing with the three ladies on the way to the tomb, right, in Mark chapter 16. 
They're heading there to embalm the body of, of Jesus. And in their conversation, they are wondering, who is going to roll away the stone? Who's going to open up the entrance for us? Not something you would be discussing if you believed Jesus would be alive. They were not expecting an empty tomb. They were not expecting a resurrection. And these women make it to the tomb. And then in Mark chapter 16 and verse 4, we read, looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified, but he has risen. He is not here. See the place where he laid. But go and tell his disciples and go and tell Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and they fled from the tomb. And it says they were trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. Look at the description regarding the state of the women as they left the tomb. It says they were trembling. It says they were afraid. In the gospel of, of Luke, we, t- we were told that they were frightened and overcome by fear. Later on, the risen Jesus appears to the disciples. He appears to Peter. And we're told that they too were also afraid as if they'd seen a ghost. So we're looking at this because this means those closest to Jesus, those who gave up everything to follow him, those who had traveled with him for years, they were afraid. They were frightened. They were fearful. Not a reaction you would have if you were expecting the resurrection. So what's the point? What's the evidence in this? It shows that if the followers of Jesus truly expected a resurrection, they would have had a different response. They would have been outside the tomb. They would have been waiting with anticipation for Jesus to be alive. They would have been filled with excitement. It would have been like a countdown on New Year's Eve, right? 10, 9, 8, 7. But they weren't because they didn't expect it to happen. They were just as surprised as everyone else. And not only were they just as surprised as everyone else, as we just read, they were terrified. The dominant emotion felt by Jesus' followers in relation to the resurrection was fear. And although simple, this evidence is very practical. It's real life examples that prove the resurrection of, of Jesus. Why? Because if everything was, was rigged, if everything was staged, if it was set up, if it was, if it was fixed, then why the spices? Why the questions? Why the doubt? Why wasn't anyone there waiting for the big reveal of Jesus to come out of the grave? Why the need to go and coax other followers of Jesus to come and see? And why the fear? Why be terrified? You see, there's some that believe the resurrection is just wishful thinking, that it's a made-up story, that it's something Christians want to be true that it's a feel-good legend and they think that the resurrection is there just to help weak people to cope with the fear of death or cope with the fear of future. But that argument is blown out of the water here in the Gospel of Mark because it shows us that belief in the resurrection on that first Easter, on that first day, it did not produce decreased fear in the followers of Jesus. It produced increased fear in his followers. There's a New Testament scholar named N.T. Wright And he wrote this, he said, It's extremely strange and extremely interesting that at no stage do they, the gospel writers, mention, ever mention the future hope 
of a Christian. In other words, not one disciple on Easter Sunday responds to the resurrection by saying, hey, this is great, my fear of death is gone. This is great, my fear of the future is gone. This is great, my lack of purpose since Jesus died. Well, now it's just, it's all solved. That came later on as they began to understand things more clearly, but it was not there on this first Easter. The first followers of Jesus, they were stunned that he was alive. And once they realized he he was alive, it would have clicked with them that everything Jesus had said, everything Jesus had, had taught and done and promised, oh my gosh, it's all true. And since it's true, it would mean for them, those following him, that they had a whole lot of work to do. And they would now be in even more danger than they were before. More danger than before because now they needed to carry out everything Jesus taught them. More danger than before because they would now face the same Romans that just killed Jesus. More danger than before because they would be stoking the flames of the Christian movement that just cost Jesus his life and would most likely cost them their lives too. The initial message of the resurrection was not Christ is risen. It was not, now you have immortality. It was now, it was not, now you don't need to fear death and now you don't need to fear, fear the future. It was Christ is risen, now you have a super dangerous purpose for your life. Which makes the idea that those following Jesus would claim that Jesus had risen from the dead just to make the story have a great ending, highly, highly unlikely. Evidence for the the resurrection, we see the most logical reason they believe Jesus was alive is that Jesus was alive. That's our first piece of evidence today. But I know that being the case, there are some people that would still say, well, the resurrection just really didn't happen. It was just, it was made up after the fact. Well, we know that's not true because number two, historical documentation backs the resurrection. Historical documentation backs the the resurrection. Almost all of us in this room have gone through some sort of schooling in our life or are going through schooling right now. And during that schooling, at some point, we all had to go through world history, right? We had to learn and memorize key dates and, and figures and events and prominent figures, battles, locations, all that kind of stuff. And we got tested on those things, right? And our grades and our transcripts, and for some of us, our futures depended on how well we got tested on on those. Well, all that history we've come to know and understand to be true, it was recorded for us through historical documentation. And the way that historical documentation is scrutinized and is validated was by looking at the original date of an event, when it occurred, the earliest copies documenting that event, the time gap between the original event and the copies showing up, and then the amount of copies that were available. Kind of a a crazy kind of math equation there, right? And the smaller the time gap, the smaller the time gap between the original date and between the copies showing up and the amount of, of copies that were available, well, then the more accurate and the more reliable and the more valid the information was. 
it was probably a decade ago, I found this table and I love sharing it with, with, with folks and I want to direct your attention to the, the screen over here. This, this table is like the top 10 list of most valid historical documents ever found in the history of the world. And on this, on this table here, we've got Plato's writings, right? Plato's writings from the time they showed up to the time the earliest copies were available, 1,300 years was that time gap. The number of copies, seven, just, just seven. A little bit lower down here, we have Livy who wrote on the history of, of Rome. The, the earliest copies showed, showed up around 400 years after the original dates, all the way to 1,000 years. At the earliest portion, they only had one partial copy. At 1,000 years, it says they have 19 copies, okay? And number one on this list, the most valid historical document here on this list is Homer's Iliad. Homer's Iliad, the time gap between the original date and the first copies, 400 years. The number of copies, 643. Now I want to show you a second table with an addition to it there at the bottom. These are the New Testament writings. The New Testament writings show up just 50 years after the, after the original dates occurred. At worst, it shows up 225 years. At 225 years, we had a complete copy of the New Testament. By far the best on the list. And then look at the number of copies that were available. 5,366. And by the way, this, this table, not put together by Christian scholars. This table put together by secular, non-believing scholars. What the evidence shows us, what the historical documented evidence shows us, it shows us that the Bible is the most accurate historical document that has ever existed in the history of mankind. It's at the top of the historical accuracy chart, number one, which confirms for us evidence for the resurrection, that the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus far and away is the most well-documented event in world history. And our last piece of evidence that we're going to look at this morning is this, that there's a lack of conflicting evidence. In 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church and believers in Corinth. And in 1 Corinthians 15, 6, he says, The resurrected Jesus, then he, appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are all still alive, though some have fallen asleep or some have died. Paul writes this just 20 years after the resurrection of Jesus. And he's letting those in Corinth know that there were over 500 people who saw Jesus alive from the grave at one time. And Paul says, hey, if you don't believe me, they're still alive. Go and ask them. Go and check for yourself. This is why that time gap between the original date and the copies of something was so important that the smaller the time gap, the better, because you could go fact check it. You could go find the witnesses that were around. And, and Paul tells those he's writing to, hey, go check the evidence for yourself. And again, although practical, further evidence for the resurrection. Why? Because if you're lying to people, if you're conning someone, if you're making something up, you don't go tell them to check the evidence for themselves. If it's made up, you keep them as far away from the truth and from the evidence as possible. Furthermore, think about this. Think about 
everything from Rome's perspective. They just crucified and killed Jesus. They rolled this giant stone in front of his tomb. They sealed it. And then they placed a special Roman guard around the tomb. If Jesus' followers were lying, all Rome had to do was go crack open the tomb and roll Jesus' body out of it and say, look, here he is, he is dead. Rome does that, right? Jesus' followers disappear, they shut up, and the movement of Christianity is dead. But when it came to Rome or anyone else, the evidence for, for the resurrection, right? There's no conflicting historical evidence could be produced because there was no body. Jesus' body could not be produced. So in looking at some of the evidence just this morning, and just it's just a small snippet of the evidence that's out there for us, Jesus' followers were not expecting his resurrection. Secular historical documentation backs the resurrection. And there's a lack of conflicting evidence to disprove the resurrection. I think this is extremely important for us to look at, to look at the evidence, especially at Easter, because all of Christianity rests on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Your faith rests on the resurrection of Jesus Christ being true. My faith rests on the resurrection of Jesus Christ being true. All of the Christian faith rests on the resurrection of Jesus Christ being true. It rises and falls on the resurrection being a fact. And as important as important as Jesus' death on the cross is, and it is extremely, extremely important, if there is no resurrection, then Jesus' death is just another death. Jesus' claims are not true, the Bible is not true, and God's story is pointless. And if there is no resurrection, then those who say, hey, there's no point to life, there's no larger context to life, there's no bigger picture to life, there's no greater sense of purpose in life, that you just live and die and then that is, is the end, they would have a valid argument if the resurrection is not true. If the resurrection is, is not true, just like the Bible says in its own words, in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 17, that if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. If there's no resurrection, Paul writes and says, your faith is pointless. If there's no resurrection, then we cannot deal with our greatest guilt and shame and regrets in our life. That if there's no resurrection, there is no solution to our sin. Paul continues on in 1 Corinthians 15 there, and in the very next verse, he says, if there's no resurrection and those who have fallen asleep in Christ, well, then they have just perished. You see, Jesus was a model. He was a foretaste. He was a precursor of what's to come for those who, who follow him. That one day in the future, Jesus will give those who have believed in him and received him and accepted him into the life and followed him a new resurrected body. But if Jesus has been not raised from the grave, then there's no future hope. There's no future hope to see our loved ones again. If there's no resurrection, then we don't have any, any hope in an eternity. If there's no resurrection, Paul goes on to write in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, that your labor is in vain. 
In other words, if Christ has not been raised from the grave, then all that we do here on this earth is pointless. Then a hundred years from now, a thousand years from now, what we have done, it makes no difference whatsoever if Jesus is not alive. But, but, in the midst of all that Paul is writing there in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, there's an amazing verse tucked in. And it says this in 1 Corinthians 15, 20, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Which means if the resurrection is true, then we find our purpose in the resurrection. That we find our purpose in Jesus being alive from the grave. That the resurrection gives purpose because it means you and I don't have to live with our regrets. We don't have to live with our shame and our guilt that we can have a hope that we will see our loved ones in Christ again and that what we do here on this earth matters and it matters for all eternity. And since the resurrection is true, it proves that there is a purpose to life, that there is a purpose to your life. You see, we celebrate Easter because Jesus' empty grave secures an amazing and wonderful promise for us. A promise found in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 21, where Paul writes and says, For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. The resurrection of Jesus shows us that God is not dead. That Jesus was not the victim, he was the victor. That love was not defeated, that love won. And the resurrection of Jesus shows us that at the empty grave, we are given the opportunity to have an empty slate. The resurrection, the empty tomb of Jesus means that your life has meaning, that you have a new identity, and that your life has a purpose. And if we put Jesus at the center of our, our life and we begin to fully follow him, we begin to understand the meaning and the purpose of our lives. That we begin to experience what we call our gospel identity, which means we are defined by who God says we are. Not the world, not the people around us, not even the own thoughts in our head, but what God says who we are. That in Christ, we are loved and we are accepted that we are made righteous, that we are forgiven, that we belong, and that we have a purpose. You see, I believe today that the resurrection of Jesus Christ, because it is true, not only demands a verdict, it demands a response from us. That Jesus lived on this earth. He was crucified and died, and he rose on the third day from the grave and is alive today. I believe that evidence is clear. And not only is that evidence clear, but I believe the truth of this is written on our hearts by God. So if you are a Christian today, I want to encourage you. Be confident. Be bold. Be secure. And be unashamed in the fact that Jesus is alive from the grave. Because all of our faith, all of your faith, all of our meaning, all of our identity, all of our purpose rests on that fact. And if you're not a Christian today, 
If you don't believe that Jesus came, if you don't believe that Jesus died, if you don't believe that Jesus rose from the grave three days later, can I just be bold enough to tell you today that you're denying the mountains of evidence that prove otherwise? That if you're willing to deny the validity of Jesus and his resurrection, you may as well deny that Caesar or Nero or the Romans or the barbarians or any other Germanic groups or any other people in in history existed because there is less historical accurate evidence for their existence and their escapades than there is for Jesus and his resurrection. And I also believe that if you're denying that evidence, the historical evidence, I believe you're also denying the evidence that God has written on your very own heart. You see, the gospel message is is this, that we are undeniably flawed and we are undeniably broken individuals, but we are unbelievably loved through the cross and through the empty tomb. And because Jesus went to that cross and rose from the grave, there is no one who is ever too far away to accept his promise of salvation. And when you do that, there is nothing, nothing, nothing that can separate you from the love of God. See, what the evidence shows us, what we know today, what died in that tomb was not Jesus. What died in that tomb was sin's grip on you, was sin's and death's grip on you and me. That when Jesus went to that tomb, we were slaves to sin. But when he walked out, we were set free. We see that God's ultimate provision for you and I came through Jesus Christ in his resurrection, which leads to the ultimate purpose in your life and mine. And that is we're celebrating, not just on Easter morning, but every single day we take breath in our lungs. Would you pray with me today? Heavenly Father, Lord, we, uh, we wrap up today by just saying thank you for sending your one and only son, Jesus, to not only come and live a perfect life that we cannot live, but to go to the cross, to take our place, to die in our place, but then to rise from the grave. We celebrate that today. We proclaim that today. We praise you for that today. But Lord, I also pray for anyone here today that's struggling with grasping that as truth in their life for the very first time. If you're here today and you're like, I've never put my faith and trust in Jesus. I've never believed that he came and he died and he rose again. But today, today that truth that's written on my heart, I believe today for the very first time, I believe and I wanna do something about that. What you can do about that today is cry out to God. The Bible says, for those who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And right where you're seated, right where you're at this morning, the way you do that is you just talk to God. You can talk to God right where you're at by saying something like this, just God, today I believe. I believe that you sent Jesus. I believe that he came and he died and he rose again. I believe that he died for my sins and I believe that I'm a sinner and so today I'm asking for forgiveness 
for those sins. And as best as I know how, Lord, I'm asking you to come into my life that I wanna, I wanna follow you from this moment forward. And the, in the, in the second that you articulate that as best as you can, Jesus will come into your life. You will become a new creation. And your eternity is sealed forever. No one will ever take you out of his hands. So if you've done that today, that is the best decision you could ever, ever make. So Lord, we praise you today. We praise you for the opportunity to worship and to gather and to celebrate that Jesus is alive today, that the tomb is empty. It's in his name that we pray.